after church services were, were over, the preacher went back to the back. People are filing out. They're all going by, shaking his hand. He's saying, hi, thanks for coming, all that good stuff. And, and so one person walks up and thoughtful. He says, uh, just wanted to let you know, preacher, that your sermon today reminded me of the peace of God and the love of God. And the preacher thought to him, so that's very kind. He said to the man, he said, that's just, I, I appreciate those words. That makes me feel really good about my, my sermon. He said, well, let me explain. It made me think of the peace of God because it passed all understanding. And it made me think about the love of God because it just endured forever. <laughs> so hopefully this morning's lesson will not be uh, that. We are in the midst of a series called Armor Up in which we're walking through Paul's words in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're walking through what he talks about. We spent some time in a series, Can You Relate, a few weeks ago, walking through some of the relationships of marriage, family, workplace, just relationships in, in, in those ordinary realms of our lives. But then he goes on to talk about how the, the real battle takes place in the extraordinary places, uh, the spiritual realm, the, 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 the heavenly realms, the battle that is going on there. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not about the battle against uh, the people right in front of your face and those relationships, but it's against the, the spiritual forces that are at work. And so part of dealing with those spiritual forces that are at work is certainly being in Christ, but also putting on the armor of God. And so we're walking through each piece that Paul gives us in, Rome, or in Ephesians chapter 6, and we come to the third piece today. But let's go ahead and start and give the whole picture here. Uh, so if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll be starting in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 starting in verse 10. Here's what he writes. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the belt breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You know, peace is a popular word in our culture today. Peace is a word that we have on bumper stickers. We've got it on, you know, people get tattoos. Uh, we've got it on jewelry. We, we've got it on t-shirts. It's an in thing to talk about peace in our culture. Maybe not as much as in the 60s and 70s, but it's, it's, it's an in thing to talk about peace in our culture today. And so many talk about it, and many desire it, but the reality is that there are very few that actually find it. And maybe part of that is because there's a difference between peace as an idea and peace as a reality. And peace as a reality is much more difficult to come by than simply the idea of peace. For some of you sports fans, you probably know this name, but for 13 years, Junior Seau was one of the best middle linebackers, best football players in the NFL. 12-time uh, Pro Bowler, which is one of the highest honors you can get in football, was elected to or chosen to um, represent the 1990s as far as the all-decade team and eventually in 2015 was elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which is the top honor for any football player. However, that honor was, was offered to him, that honor was given to him 
posthumously after his death because on May 2nd, 2012, at the age of 43, Junior Seau took his own life. And his death shocked everybody, including those he'd grown up with, his former teammates. One of those former teammates was a guy named Rodney Harrison. I uh, played with him for the New England Patriots, played with him also for the uh, San Diego Chargers. And here's what Rodney had to say. He did an interview with Sports Illustrated. Here's what he had to say. He said, Junior would tell me that the only time he ever truly felt at peace was when he was out on the surf. Junior say I grew up in, in Southern California. He told me, when I'm on those waves, it's the greatest feeling. I have no worries, no stress, no problems. I just forget about everything. It seems that Junior was always searching for peace. But you know, the reality is, Junior really didn't find peace on those waves. He thought it was peace but it was really just a diversion. And there's a lot of people that call places where they find a measure of peace, peace, but it's really just a diversion from what's going on in the chaos in the life that they're living or the world around them. Well, how do you know the difference between what's just a, a, a diversion and real peace? Well, is it, is it sustaining? You know, if you just go into you know, a a, a quiet place and have some warm tea or whatever it is you have and you find a little peace for a little bit, but then you leave there and it's it's back to the craziness in your life and in your mind and in your heart, then that that's not that's not sustaining peace. Does that make sense? There's a difference between just having a little peace and having real peace, sustaining peace. Because the moment Junior left those waves, his peace was gone. Which tells you that it was more of a diversion than true peace. And sooner or later, living without peace is going to take its toll on you and on me. Maybe that's why the enemy works so diligently to see to it that you and I never encounter the source of peace, the prince of peace, Jesus Christ. And so in our Armor Up series this morning, we come to the third piece of armor that Paul mentions, and that is having your feet Fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That's a long title, so I just went with feet fitted with the gospel of peace. But we're going to talk about all of that uh, this morning. Probably one of the most underrated pieces of a Roman soldier's military apparel were the shoes that he wore on his feet. Now, when I say shoes, they really weren't shoes like you and I think of today. They were more like a sandal contraption that kind of went about maybe a third of the way up your leg, maybe even halfway up your leg. And sometimes, sometimes they wear uh, metal sheaves that were like shin guards, you know, modern day soccer, you know, shin guards that would protect the lower part of the leg. But the, the, the shoe was really more of a sandal, sandal boot type deal. And what they would have on the bottom of it, would they would have these studs. If you look at pictures, they would have these studs. Most of the time they were made out of metal. Sometimes the studs were made out of bone, but it was really what you and I would think of today is the first version of a cleat, of an athletic cleat or athletic, um, you know, football cleat, soccer cleat. You go back and look at history. History tells us that battles and wars were often won or lost based on whether or not you had the right footwear. The success of men like Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, names like that was in no small part due to the fact that they were able, their armies were able to march for many miles over rough terrain, all the while keeping a pretty good pace up. And you can't do that unless you have the right footwear, shoes on your feet. 
if a soldier was disabled, if, or excuse me, if a soldier was injured in his foot, and many of you have experienced this or are going through this, you injure your foot, you, it disables you in many ways. Soldier couldn't advance, he couldn't retreat, he's kind of stuck. And so a lot of times what uh, enemies would do is they would either put like sharp shards of metal or, or of wood or of bone or whatever it may be, stone, and they would put them in the ground. They were like first century landmines, so they walked over them, they would injure their foot, and then you're kind of incapacitated. I, I was talking with someone last night, and we are just, I don't even know how we got onto the subject of footwear, but uh, he told me, he said, um, I'm, I'm kind of a shoe junkie. I kind of like shoes. And, and he said, actually, I have more pairs of shoes than my wife does. So, But you think about all the choices that we have of shoes today. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter the locale, the, the sport, the event, the activity. If there is a shoe to be had, you can have it for any place Anything you're doing, any activity, you can even have your, your shoe in any color, any material. We, we have more choices than ever before about the shoes and the footwear that we have. And while I think we've probably gone overboard just a tad bit, there's something to be said about the right shoe for the right activity. If you try to wear a cleat playing basketball, probably not going to work too well, and vice versa. There's something to be said about having the right shoe and the right shoe making all the difference. And that's true spiritually as well. And here in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul tells us what the proper shoes are for the spiritual battle that you and I as Christians are engaged in. Specifically, as Paul says, we are to have our feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, there's a lot of things that can be said about the gospel of peace and what peace brings and what that gospel of peace Means, but Paul focuses here on one byproduct in particular that comes from the gospel of peace readiness. The gospel of peace makes you ready. Now, the obvious question to that would be ready for what? And I would simply say, and this is in your notes if you're taking notes, that the gospel of peace makes us ready to do God's work. It makes us ready to go wherever he calls us to go and ready to do whatever he calls us to do. That's one of the, the things about the, these, these Roman studded sandals is they could go anywhere. They could do what they needed to do and still have the footing that they needed to go where they needed to go because that's where the commander had told them to go. And that's what the gospel of peace in many ways does for us. Earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 2, Paul says this in verse 10. He says that God, uh, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so God is fashioning you and I, shaping us for good works. He's developing us as, as workers for a particular work that he has in mind for us. Because here's the deal. It's from a place of peace that you and I are made ready to be able to do the work that God has prepared us to do. We don't work well when, when we're in chaos. We work well when we're working from a place of peace. You and I do our best living from a place of peace in our life. Now understand that when I talk about a place of peace, that does not mean the absence of conflict. If you wait for the absence of conflict before you start living for Christ, you're going to be six feet under and pushing up daisies. I'm not trying to be crass, but that's the reality. Just because the gospel of peace is present doesn't mean that there's not going to be some conflict in, 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 in what's going on around you. The whole reason you're here 
is because you're being sent into conflict to bring about the peace of Christ. And so when we talk about living for Christ from a place of peace, we're not talking about the absence of, of conflict around us, around us, but rather I'm talking about living and operating from a place of peace within us. There can be a lot of conflict going on around us, but what's going on inside of our hearts and our minds? You see, peace has more to do with the presence of Jesus than it does the absence of conflict. Just because there's an absence of conflict doesn't mean there's peace. And just because there's peace doesn't mean that there's an absence of conflict. Does that make sense? And, and so part of it is you and me living from a peace that comes from within. And, and, and you can live in a peaceful reality in the midst of, of great conflict because peace has more to do with things being aligned internally between you and God than it does externally in the circumstances and the situations that are going on around you. So often we think peace is tied to, to things being in line with our, our will being done in our circumstances. And so if my kids are behaving, I'll have some peace. If my marriage is going okay, I'll have some peace. If people are treating me the way that I want them to treat me, then I'll have some peace. And, and so whatever it may be, that's how we often define peace. And we tie peace to that when the fact is peace has more to do with you and I being aligned with God on the inside than it does with things being aligned in, in my world around me on the outside. I was listening to, to something recently, and I like how one guy described spiritual maturity as it relates to peace. And he said, spiritual maturity is when one acts from the peace of God within as opposed to reacting to everything and everything, everything and everyone else around them. I like that. Let me say that again. It's when we act from the peace of God as opposed to reacting to everything and everyone else around us. Can you imagine what our marriages, what our families, what our workplace, what our relationships would be like if you and I, on a consistent basis, reacted from a place of peace within us instead of reacting to what's going on around us? And so you think about this in the flow of Ephesians. Paul talks about marriage and he talks about family and he deals with the workplace and, and, and all of those things are leading into Ephesians chapter six. And he says, listen, marriage, family, workplace, all those relationships, that's where the real spiritual battle is taking place. And oftentimes that's where the real spiritual carnage is. Think about the carnage in our marriages and in our families and, and in the workplace that comes as a result from reacting to those things that are around us instead of living from a place of peace with because wrapped up in a lot of the mess that you and I make in those relationships and those uh, areas in our lives is because we're living and speaking and reacting to what's going on around us instead of a place of peace within us. And so that's what I mean when I talk about living from a place of peace within instead of reacting to what's going on around us. It allows me to do the will of God even when I hit some rough terrain and even when the soil beneath me begins to shift. By the way, I think this also tells us something about how the enemy attacks us. One of the things is you read through the armor of God, you, you, you look at the armor of God, you start to see how it matches up with some of the things that the enemy tries to do, some of the ways that the enemy tries to attack us. That's why, you know, we've been walking through these things and kind of, you know, nailing down some of what, what Satan tries to do and attack us. You think about first week, we talked about the belt of truth. How it's so important to, to, to live in truth and take truth in and live truth out. 
Because why? This, Satan, the enemy is going to come at us with, with lies. And we need to know the truth from a lie. We need to know how to live in truth and put on the belt of truth. You think, think about the um, last week, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. What's the enemy going to do? He's going to come at you with attacks of condemnation. So what do you need to do? You need to realize that your righteousness comes not from every right thing that you do, but from Jesus Christ. And you live in his righteousness and you live out of his righteousness and that protects you against those attacks of condemnation. So what is the feet fitted with readiness about with the gospel that comes from the gospel of peace? What does that tell us that Satan does? How does he attack us? Well, I think simply put, he tries to take away our peace. Okay, well, how does he take away our peace? Well, so often he takes away our peace by filling us and tempting us to be filled with anxiety and worry. How do you take away peace? You, feel, you are filled with anxiety and worry. When you are filled with anxiety and worry, the, the opposite of war or peace is not war, oftentimes. Although I guess you could make some analogies there. You're in anxiety and, and, and worry. You're kind of at war with God for who's over control, if you want to put it that way. But it, it's, it's, it's a chaotic, it's, it's an out of control feeling that you feel when you are anxious and worrisome and you don't feel much peace. When, when Satan attacks us with worry, it's to, 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 to cause us to lose our footing. That's why, second, if you're taking notes, the, the gospel of peace gives sure footing against attacks of worry and anxiety. It gives you a foot. Over and over in this passage, Paul tells us to what? To stand. We can't stand if you're slipping all over the place, right? Part of standing is having sure footing. When you think about anxiousness, anxiousness gets you running all over the place. Anxiousness gets you, you know, unsteady on your feet. And Paul says, no, you, you need that sure footing. You need the gospel of peace on your feet and fitted with that so that you can stand firm, so that you can be sure footed. Maybe that's why over and over and over and over again, the, the Bible tells us, don't fear, don't be afraid, don't worry. Why? Because Scripture knows, God knows that so often the enemy is going to attack us with worry and anxiety and fear to disable us, to cause us to lose our footing, and to immobilize us so that we can't move forward into what God is calling us to do. And that's why Jesus has so much to say about worry. Certainly you think about Matthew chapter 6 and what he says about worry there. I, I think about another passage in, in Luke chapter 8 where he talks about the story of the farmer sowing a seed. And he talks about the four different kinds of seeds. And many of you are probably familiar with this passage. But in, in verse 7, he says, other seed, talking about one of, the, one of the seeds, he says, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. So in and of itself doesn't mean a whole lot. Jesus, though, comes back and explains it to his disciples. What does this mean? Jesus says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. And it makes me sad that that's where so many Christians are in their walk with Jesus Christ. They start off and they, 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 they want to love God, they want to do right things, but they get choked out by worries, pleasures, and riches. That doesn't describe 21st century Christianity in America. I don't know what does. And in the process, we bear very little fruit. And a lot of times it's because we're choked by those worries, by those pleasures, by those riches, and we don't mature. That's why one of the main ways that the enemy attacks 
is through worry. And not just worry itself, but worrying about riches and pleasures. Right? We're worried about getting more. We're worried about worry, and then we're worried about riches and pleasures. Worried about the bank account. Worried about getting this. Worried about getting that. And we are so consumed by those things that we don't have a sure footing in the gospel that brings peace. But what the gospel of peace does is it enables us to be ready and, and, and to still have that sure soil of life shifts and terrain gets rough. So as we kind of wrap things up this morning, how do you get fitted? How do you get your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace? Well, let me just give you two things uh, this morning. First, I think getting fitted involves learning to be still and allowing God to fit you. I know that sounds simple, but I think it's really, really important. Sometimes the most simple things are the most important things. That getting fitted means being still long enough so God can fit you with the shoes of readiness that come from the gospel of peace. Have you ever tried to put shoes on a child that will not sit still? And sit still long enough, and once they do, their feet are all over the place. Just stop moving so I can tie. That's why they made Velcro shoes. Some of us are like little children. And we're not stopping long enough to allow God to fit us with the shoes of peace that he desires to give us. If you want to get your feet fitted, you got to be still long enough for God to fit you. Does that make sense? If if you're never still long enough, how is God going to fit you? Because you're not putting them on. God's putting them on you, and he can't put them on on you unless you're still long enough to allow him to do so. Psalm 46, of course, comes to mind. How can it not? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and, and, and know, and that knowledge brings a peace that God is God, that God is in control. But you can't truly recognize and live in the reality that God is God, that God is in control, unless you stop long enough to recognize it. If you're running around like a, as we say down south, chicken with your head cut off, you can't recognize that God is in control because you're trying to be in control. And so you're worried about you being in control and you're not living in the peace that only God can give. I I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 26, verse three. It says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfastly, or like how it says in another version, steadfastly trust in you. You will keep in perfect peace those who steadfastly trust in you. You. I, I love what C.S. Lewis says. I love a lot of things that C.S. Lewis says, but in particular, what he wrote as it relates to this subject. He said, the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice and taking that other point of view and letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in and so on all day long. Standing back from all your natural fussing and fretting coming in out of the wind, we can only do it for moments at first, but from those moments, the new sort of life will be spreading through our system because now we are letting him work at the right part of us. And here's what I really love. He said, it is the difference between paint which is merely laid on the surface and a dye or stain which soaks right through. That's the difference between peace as an idea and peace as a reality. And many of us, many Christians have paint peace instead of stained peace. 
And the point is we all need to try and find a way to get our feet still long enough and regularly enough if we want to be fitted with the gospel of peace. You know, every now and then you need to go to get some new shoes, right? Tires on your car, truck, vehicle need to be replaced. Sometimes you need to get some, some new tread on your soles, right? That's true spiritually. Sometimes you need to get some new tread on your tires because especially in Michigan, right, the roads get a little slippery. Life gets that way. Gets a little wet, gets a little rough. But that involves getting your life still so the Lord can fit you with peace. But the purpose of peace is not so you can sit still. I wanna make this clear. Being still so that God can fit you is not so you can just sit there with your shoes on, right? The point is to wear them out. The point is to use them. The purpose of being still is so that you can experience a fitting of peace so that you can move and you move better from a place of solid footing, particularly when life is shifting all around you, which leads to second thing when it comes to getting fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You and I get fitted, getting fitted involves walking peace out and breaking our shoes in. Does that make sense? Shoes are, these, these boots are made for walking, right? These shoes are made for, for walking and living it out. And gospel shoes of peace are made for walking it out. And getting fitted involves walking it out walking peace out and breaking our shoes in. Here's the truth about peace. And probably it's true about love and faith and and a lot of hope, a lot of these things that we talk about. You won't truly realize or experience the peace that Paul is talking about here, the peace that, that God desires to give until you're in a situation that is a contrast to that peace. In other words, I I don't really know how peaceful I am or how much peace I have until I'm in a situation that promotes anxiety. Does that make sense? You and I can talk all day long about peace, perfect peace, and we can sing, there is a place of quiet rest, and hallelujah, I'm peaceful, I'm, I'm walking in God's peace, hallelujah. And then we go out into the world, and it's like that I'm not at peace because we really find out how much peace we have when we, when we encounter situations that require peace, that are con- conflictual. And it's when I'm, I'm in, a, in a situation or in a circumstance like that when I find out where I am, how, how much peace do I really have? It takes some experience to be able to walk in the peace of God in the midst of very difficult situations. And you've got to walk it out. You've got to break your shoes in. That's part of, of what we are called to do. And, and I've heard a great description that the, the strength of, of our peace or our faith or however you, but in this particular, the, the, the strength of our peace is like a tea bag. You don't know how strong it is until you put it in some hot water. I was watching, uh, watching a show the other day about a uh, car industry and some of the things that are, you know, cars that are made. And they, they were talking about the, the car industry and in particular, all the SUVs and they were testing out SUVs on the, on the show and they're taking them off road. And it got me thinking though about the reality of, of cars. You, just all the SUVs and trucks, and I'm part of that. I was actually talking to somebody last night who was looking at buying a truck too. And it got me thinking though, that we, it's, it's all good and well. We purchased these SUVs. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have SUV or truck? How many of you, drive your SUV or truck off-road? 
Now, the argument could be made that we are always off-road on Michigan roads, but how many, how many of you drive your truck, truck or, or SUV, off-road? No, we most of the time drive them on paved roads, right? You go back to the original, original SUVs that, that were in place. They were military vehicles, and they were made for two things. They were made for war, and they were made for going off-road. And I think about that when it relates to our faith and our peace. I find it quite ironic, the, and certainly he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I find it quite ironic, the, the imagery here, the, the picture that's painted by Paul. He, he's talking about the spiritual battle that's going on. He's talking about the war that we are in. He's talking about putting on the armor of God, and he talks about all of this, and he says that you and I get ready for war. We are, we are ready to engage in war by putting on something that provides peace. Don't you find that ironic? Maybe even a little bit contradictory? That Paul would talk about getting ready for war by putting on something that promotes peace, but maybe that's the whole point. As I said earlier, the gospel of peace doesn't mean the absence of, of conflict. In, in fact, the reality of peace is for the hard times. You don't need peace when everything is good going on around you. You need peace when, when the wheels have come off, when you're off-road, when you're off the map, when the GPS doesn't work, when you're in the fire. That's what you need peace for. When you're, in the, when you're, when you're going through this, the turmoil and, and, and everything is shifting and you need some traction, you need some sure footing, that's what peace is for, so that you can represent God and be the man or woman that God has called you to be in the midst of all the turmoil. That's why his peace is there. And often you don't really know the integrity of the peace that you have until you're off-road, until you're off the, the beaten path and until you're walking it out and you're breaking your shoes in. And yet that's so often where we see God as clearly as we will ever see him. When the terrain of, of life gets rough and the soil's begin to shift, and yet here you are, sure-footed, standing firm in his peace, and even sharing his peace with those around you. I was reading something recently about the shipbuilding industry and just the process of, of building ships and how they, in particular, how they go about determining the structural integrity of a ship. So how do they determine if a ship is structurally, has, has structural integrity? One of the things they don't do is put it in a dry dock and spray water on it. That's not how they figure out if a ship has structural integrity. You know what they do, right? They put it on the sea, in the elements, to see if it measures up. They call them sea trials to see if a ship is seaworthy. So when they bring them back in, I find it interesting the language that they talk about. When they bring them back in, and, and occasionally, obviously, not every ship is going to pass. You try and pass as many. But when a ship comes back in and it has failed, they, they don't talk about it from a perspective of the sea caused the ship to lose its structural integrity. You know what they say? The sea exposed the, structural, the lack of structural integrity that was there all along. Does that make sense? And so you think about our faith. So many people, I, I've heard so many people, whether it's a season in their life or maybe it's a period, maybe it's just a, for good, they, they've lost faith, they've, they've left God. And, and they'll say something, and you've probably heard this, they'll say, looking back, you know, that's just when I lost my faith. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't believe in a God who would 
fill in the blank. And I and went through that, lost, lost my faith. I guess I would argue that that's not where you lost your faith. But that trial revealed where your faith was all along. I'm not saying that those times aren't hard, and I'm not saying that it's not difficult to understand some things that are going on in our world and our lives, but so often the trials that we go through don't cause us to lose our faith. They don't cause us to, to the, the lack of structural integrity in our peace and in our hope and in our life and in our joy. It, it reveals where our faith and our peace and our hope and our joy were all along. Does that make sense? The good news is, no matter what we've done or where we've been, God desires to give us his grace and his peace. And when you allow God to build your ship, you can rest assured it's gonna be seaworthy. And when people see that your ship is seaworthy, they're gonna wanna know who your shipbuilder is because they see that, that, that you're living out what you're preaching. They're seeing that there's, there's evidence of your claims that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. They're seeing that in your life. They're seeing, as one, pus- one person put it, that you're still in one piece, P-I-E-C-E, because you have one piece, P-E-A-C-E, a piece that only comes from Jesus Christ. And so allow him to fit your feet and your life with his peace so that you're ready to do his work, so that you're ready to go wherever he calls you to go and do whatever he calls you to do. And when you're fitted with his peace, you can be sure of the promise. And I love this verse. Paul gives it in Romans chapter 16, verse 20. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your 